from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast Tech Corner. And now, join me in welcoming your host and CISO, James Azar. I love that guitar. Welcome to another Veteran November episode. It's a special one today, folks. This man has so much energy, it's going to blow your bits and pieces apart. I promise you that. Before we get started, though, if you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, if you've missed all the previous inspirational episodes with the amazing men and women who've served in our armed services, make sure you subscribe now, tune back, catch our entire Veteran November playlist. I'm sure you are going to love it. Um, I promise you that. Rafael Nunez, what's happening, my man? What's going on? Glad to be here. Dude, I'm so happy to have you on. Like your energy, like your smile, like your energy just comes off the screen. It's like a wave, man. Um, um, it, it, Motivated and highly caffeinated. You know, is it coffee or espressos? It's coffee. It's my heritage. It's just, um, I'm like this all the time. I didn't come with a switch and turn it off. I'm just always on. <laughs> I'm an espresso guy this morning. Someone texted me. We're on a conference call. And, and you know, I stuck in my head like this. And people thought I was asleep. Right? And I'm like, no, no. I'm thinking about my coffee there. And I'm wearing sweatpants. And I don't want to get up. And I don't want to turn off my camera. How do I get to my coffee machine? Right? So I'm sitting here, like, trying to figure out, you know, oh, wait. Do I go under the table? Right? And, like, like, do I do the little middle school kid, like, climb under the table to go to my kitchen that's right there and make an espresso? Or right. or, or do I just, you know, tunnel through this meeting? I, I, I didn't know what to do. I hear you. The half-life of heat on an espresso, because it's just a small portion, there's a, there's a window of opportunity there. So, usually, as soon as it brews, you take it off and sip on it. You know, I also have an espresso machine, and I have at least two or three of those a day. Uh, so, so yeah, I can definitely relate. I know why you and I get along. We get along because we're both espresso drinkers. Right I am. An, I, 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 that's. I can't drink black coffee. I can't. I can't what, do, what do you it. Brew? So, so here's the deal. I have three espresso machines in my house. I have two that are active, and I have a reserve. The reserve is right next to my go bag. In case I ever have to evacuate, I cannot evacuate without my espresso machine. Um, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I love it. Um, and so, um, I make, I have a, a homemade kit to make capsules for my, uh, upgraded Nespresso machine that makes like lattes and cappuccinos and whatnot. The foo-foo drinks, I like to call them. I take my espressos straight, but you know, my wife every once in a while wants a cappuccino or a latte, or I'll have people over and they want a cappuccino or a latte. And so, and then I've got a straight espresso machine in my kitchen um and again i i i i I have some capsules that i buy like pete's coffee or lavazza uh, which i which i enjoy from the commercial side say no more more. you you spoke my language those are my two favorite pete's coffee house blend and lavazza espresso yeah um and then I make my own. So there's, I have capsules that are uh, multi-use. So you just pack them with coffee, you stick them in there. It, 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 it creates the coffee um, that I use like a Jamaican blend or an Ethiopian blend or an Indonesian blend. So yeah, awesome. I'm a coffee snob. All right. But this isn't about coffee. It's about veterans. And so Raphael, tell us a little bit about what branch of the military you served and how long you were enlisted for and, and a little bit about what you did. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I spent 10 years in the Air Force. 
Um, I was originally a services guy, and I got a chance to cross-train based on some advice from a mentor, right at the three and a half year mark, went into IT, and then I had a chance to deploy as a one, as a solo guy to support Army, Marines, and Navy uh, multiple times over Iraq, Afghanistan, um, you know, the general places that we have in, in, in the Middle East. So 10 years total active duty. Uh, what year did you discharge? So people know how recent that was. Absolutely, I, I discharged back in uh, July 2010. Okay, so you enlisted 2000, before yes. 9-11. All right. right. So you enlisted July of 2000? Yes. I enlisted December of 2000. Oh, right on. Too many similarities. All right. Um, brilliant. I love it. So tell, tell us a little bit about cyber. How'd you get into cyber? Was it during IT in the Air Force? And then uh, how'd you now, you know, being a decade as a civilian, what's that like? Yeah, absolutely. So once I cross-trained into, into IT, I was entrusted to manage an NCC, right? And here I have all these kids out of high school that, I, that I'm entrusted to lead. I know very little about IT. These guys have built websites on their own. Um, about two years into that gig, uh, leading the, the NCC, by the way, is Network Control Center um, in the Air Force, I had a chance to apply for a special duty assignment that dealt with certification and accreditation. Um, and it was an Intel shop, so they had um, the various networks, right? Um, secret all the way up to top secret. Um, I got the assignment. It was a one-man one man gig kind of thing. And then that sort of introduced me to why do things need to be certified? What is an accreditation? What is an approval to operate? Why is this data classified? And how do we protect it? That's where my career began. Um, and I, I spent there three and a half years. And then I, se I was separated. And, um, and the rest was history. I mean, I, I, I became a contractor in cyber. I had already earned my chops in the military. I deployed in that capacity before separating, and um, I got to make some really good connections um, with the company that then became my employer. Because as a one-man shop in in the in the desert, um, managing sensitive uh, sensitive data and helping protect it, that sort of earned my keep to be able to transition directly into into cybersecurity. I love that. Um, you know, often you know it, it, the different backgrounds this month. Raphael, of all the different uh, men and women that have served in uniform is unbelievable for me. Like, I'm truly humbled. And, and I hope this inspires people who are listening, who are not in InfoSec or who are still in the service or are on the, you know, last year or six months of their of their tour before they discharge. Um, people come from all kinds of different backgrounds. Yours is amazing. So you kind of started in service, you moved to IT midway through, and that kind of opened you into the world of InfoSec. Let's talk a little bit about, I think, what, what is the biggest challenge for all veterans, that transition from military to all of a sudden being the average Joe, a civilian. What was that transition like for you? You know, that's a, that's an interesting one. I think I think that there's two ends of the spectrum. I think that some some veterans gain a high level of complacency, right? In terms of I have a clearance, I am a veteran who wouldn't want to hire me. But then you have the other end of the spectrum of folks that downplay their service, right? And don't acknowledge the fact that they were entrusted with a larger enterprise than most major retailers. Right. So when you own a particular um, area of expertise that you've been entrusted in, whether it's network, whether it's firewalls um, or endpoint protection, you're doing this for a match comp per, per se, 
and you're affecting 10 bases. So you're talking about over 30,000 users, you know, over 100,000 endpoints, um, and people don't capitalize on that. So to them, it's it's like, I was just uh, an E3, I was just an E5. You know, I, I, I only got certified because I had to. So I think those, that, that's where the challenges, um, the challenges uh, um, reside. Only getting information for those that are still in, that have assumptions just like you, is very limiting. You need to get out and see people that have already done it and speak to contractors, speak to, the, to people that are in the role in which you wanna be, regardless of whether they're, 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 they're veterans or not, but to learn what has it taken them to get there and try to translate how your experience right fits um, and check those boxes of, of uh, you know of their trajectory so tell me a little bit about your transition what were some of the things that um, and 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 not to dismiss what you just said which is very very smart right you got the people who you know leave um, and and overplay their hand I don't want to say overplay their hand but um, overestimate their marketability and and then you've got the people who downplay their service um, because they have a true service heart. And I think there's an aspect of that that people like, you know, people yes. that don't like to talk about their service, not because they're ashamed or embarrassed by it, but because when you do a good deed, right? If you're walking down the street and you give someone 10 bucks, you don't walk around, you don't go on Facebook and say, hey, I just gave a homeless guy 10 bucks, everyone, give me a like. Right, you do it out of a humbleness. You do it. You may share it with your spouse or best friend at a later date. You know, kind of as coming up in a conversation, or if if that person came on your heart later on, you may share that. But overall, when we do service and we volunteer to be in the military, right, we're not doing it for the recognition. We're not doing it so uh, people clap or tell us thank you for your service. We do it because we have a true servitude heart. And so that service heart, the, the latter piece that you talk about where people downplay their skills, I feel like that's people who truly have, who truly look at their time in the military as a service and don't consider it to be something that they can market because it's a service. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with you. Um, I, th- I think that people who are humble need to, need to protect that, right? We need to cherish how humble they are and we need to um, acknowledge that those values are there. Um, we just need to get them to to understand that they can remain humble while still translating their capabilities without downplaying them. And what I mean is, many times you ask folks, so, so did you lead? Um, no, I, I was just the flight chief, you know, or I was just the, the, the lead supervisor in one of the three shifts. And it's like, okay, in the civilian world, that translates to a manager, right? So the answer is yes, you've led. How many people were on the team? Um, and, and things like that, right? And, and I think it's not, being humble is great, but I think a little bit of what I'm describing is that lack of knowledge allows allows to a lack of acknowledgement. That, you know, you don't wanna bring it up because you think that it's so it's so um, insignificant that it, that it won't translate well, but, um, but it does, it does, right? Um, it translates, it translates and transcends more, more efficiently than people, than people believe it will. So, so let's talk a little bit about your personal transition. What was that like? Um, what were some of the difficulties? What, 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 what are some things you wish you could tell yourself now, 10 years later, if you, if you could go back 
you know, like Stewie did in, in, in Family Guy and get a time machine and go back 10 years to the day you, you know, to six months before you were being discharged. And you, you, you know, you'd look, you'd say, Raphael, here is a checklist. These are all the things don't fall into these traps. What would that look like? What would you be telling yourself? Got it. Um, you, you know, my transition was pretty good. I'm super grateful. I had some really good mentors. I surrounded myself with some amazing people. Some came to my life, not by choice, but just where I happened to be when I was approaching that 10 year mark. Um, it, it's, uh, it's interesting. So, so one thing to do away with one perception while I was in, I would interact and work and ha- you know, work alongside contractors. And there's this misconception. There's this, um, just this saying that, well, if you get a contract, it's only for a year, you'll be looking for a job in a year. Right. Yes, contracts are written a year at a time, but it doesn't mean that that contractor becomes irrelevant and is shaking in his boots at the 11 month looking for another job. Right. So once I dismissed that that misconception, um, I started learning about more about what what is it like to be a contractor? What what are the benefits versus being civil services versus being enlisted? I, I was actually in Iraq on what would be my last deployment in 2009 and you know, I was just, I was deploying too often. While I was there on that deployment, um, my second daughter was born and I missed the birth. And, and, I, and I, will, I was always the guy that would say, man, how come people don't like to deploy? Like, this is what we're here for. This is what we've been training all year for. If you don't want to deploy, get the hell out. So now this is me looking at myself in the mirror saying, Rafael, you may need to get the hell out because you don't want to be the guy remaining in against your will, right? Opposed to these deployments. Um, so I knew that I was at a crossroads, right? Approaching 10 years, four deployments in. Um, so I got to talking, I, I got to learning about the, the required skill sets of um, the particular contractor that was supporting me while I was enlisted in, in Iraq. And um, so I got to learning, for example, about certification requirements. And I remember one guy saying, Rafael, you can get, you can get hired without your certification but you'll never, you'll never demand the salary of someone that already has the certification after they're in, right? So I said, okay, you know what? Let, let's, um, let's test this out. I have four months before I'm gonna get out, right? I can time this accordingly. I will take my CISSP exam on this day. I will interview on this day and I have to provide notice whether I'm, I'm staying, you know, I'm re-enlisting or getting out by this day. And each of those dates were a month apart. So to be exact, I tested for my CSSP on May 23rd. I interviewed June 23rd, and my last day in the Air Force was July 23rd. <laughs> yeah, so um, I happened to pass it. I got, I got, I got notice. I interviewed. Um, I think I negotiated well, uh, and um, it was that time where it was like, hey, I think I'm, I think I'm stepping out now. You know, 10 year good career. I have progressed fast and, uh, and getting promoted and everything. Um, but that's how it went down for me. So, so what was it like for you? And, 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 and I may get personal here, but um, one of the stories um, that, that really shook me with what you just said is that you missed your second daughter's birth. Um, what, was that, what was that like for you? You know, there was that since I was the guy saying, if you don't want to be here, get the hell out. If you don't want to deploy, um, there was there was a lot of emotion that I didn't want to be reflected. So I, I didn't, I never wanted to give the impression that I didn't want to be there in that particular deployment during that time in our country. 
Um, so was it was it tough? Yes. I mean, I had to I had to meet my daughter when she was like four months old, and she, I don't know who she is. She doesn't know who I am. I'm only seeing pictures, right? I'm smelling her, feeling her for the first time, and things. So it was difficult. It was difficult, but but I but uh you know about when it comes to fighting things you can't change. I was already I was already deployed. I was already there. I was going to meet my term. So I did what I had to do, right? This is so much adapting and overcoming in the Air Force, um, but it was tough. It was tough. I, I, I don't, I don't wish that upon anyone that you know that they have to miss such an important life event like that. Yeah, there's um, um, that's kind of like the hidden cost of service, right? The we we often see um, and and uh, and you know we'll see these videos on like Facebook or YouTube of you know veterans coming home and their kids run into them or the first time they meet their newborn. Um, but there's a real price to service, right? Beyond life. It's, it's missing graduations, birthdays, holidays, um, birth. <laughs> the, and, 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 and I mean, you know, we talk about our military and then we talk about, you know, our brothers and sisters in uniform and, and we forget that aspect. I think a lot of people forget that aspect of, of what does it mean to be deployed? What does it mean to get, you know, not to say that the military isn't considerate because they are if you ask for a leave and they can they'll give it to you but if they can't they won't i mean it's you're there to do a job 100 percent. a civilian calls in sick and that's your shift and you're in your day off you have to come in and cover um you know uh, so a couple you talked about getting personal i'll tell you a couple things to, to just to kind of dive into that without going too far into it i remember the first time i had to go in for a civilian that was off and I'm telling my buddy, like, man, this is this is crazy, I, you know. And I'm like, and I'm like, do you think she's really sick? And I'm going into this and that, you know, back and forth. And he goes, look, they're civilians. They get X number of days off a year, a sick, paid sick leave. Why wouldn't they take it? You know, we, you know, it's up to us to pick up the slack. Like, okay, Roger that. You know, shook my head. You know, whatever. When it comes to the holidays, my wife was the one that coached me and, and kind of got me to. Um, acknowledge holidays, celebrate holidays, get excited about holidays. But I'll tell you what, brother, the first time that I had to work on Thanksgiving ever in my life, you know, here I am like 21 years old, working on Thanksgiving day, and every person that walked in that day checking into, into lodging that brought me a plate of food, you know, I was hum- I was I was grateful, but that sort of stirred the pot of anger of like, <laughs> yeah. why am I working on Thanksgiving? Why am I here like standing here in this uniform like a dog or whatever? So, um, so yeah, th- there, there's a lot of underlying sort of um, suppression of emotions and, and push forward that happens um, uh, for servicemen and women uh, that, that a lot of people don't have no idea. So your, your, your transition was easy because you went down um, what I like to call the DOD factory, which is, you know, you were in the service, you left, you went to the DOD factory, which is some of the defense contractors. Um, and, and, and essentially that's you transition to a civilian life, which, you know, in, in, in retrospect, you make a little bit more money. You get a, you get sick paid days off, right? So you can, you know, you can spend Thanksgiving at home with your family and, and someone else in uniform is going to pick up the slack for you that day. Um, but, but when did you transition out of the defense sector into civilian? Cause right now you're a hundred percent civilian or you're not in the, in the, in the defense sector anymore. Correct. That's correct. That's correct. That's a good question. So I did two years of contracting, um, a company called L3. And then I did two years of civil service where I was a GS. Right. Um, so in 2014, I got an offer from Lowe's corporate, which is North Carolina where I now reside. 
Um, so that was like truly being completely severing ties with all DOD government because as a contractor, civil service, you're working for government agencies. You're still, um, you know, uh, dealing with people that are in uniform. A lot of the customs are very similar, the same, the way you speak and all that. Um, so then that's when it felt like interestingly real, like, wow, I'm stepping out of this comfort zone of, of um, you know, this protection of like, you know, civilians don't get fired or civilians don't lose their jobs and you have this coverage thing. I'm going, in, I transition into Lowe's corporate and that first week on campus, I freaked out every time my phone went off in my pocket because I was so used to working in a secure facility where you couldn't even have, you know, uh, flash drives or blank CDs or, you know, let alone your phone. Um, so that, that, that was uh, six years ago. Yep. So, 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 um, you know, a lot of people go through the transition you went through, especially in infosec, right? So they're they're in they're in a highly classified. You know, they work in a in a, in a very tight environment. They leave to go into the DoD establishment, and they work there for maybe four, five, six, ten years, and then they end up in this real civilian world, right? Working for an enterprise, a corporation, or a retailer, a consulting firm, a bunch of those. And then that's when the transition really hits you because when you're in the DOD side, you're yes, sir, no, no, sir, right? Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Chow is still chow. Yeah, you're a civilian, but you're a civilian driving on base. You're a civilian still in that you're, 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 you're kind of, um, you're still surrounded by the shell that you got used to for a decade, but now you're, um, you're like, yeah, but if, at five o'clock I leave, right? At six o'clock I leave. Uh, I'm off on Saturday and Sunday. I don't, I don't come in. I get to spend the weekend with my kids, but you know, we get to go for a run and do some, you know, fun stuff on Saturday and Sunday. We go to church and you know, we thank God for 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 what we got, right? Just saying. I'm not saying that that's what you do, right? Um, I, it may be controversial what I just said because some people are like, who goes, to, you know? But nonetheless, that's that's American values, right? But then you you did that transition and you moved to a different state, right? Which was not where you were used to living. You go, you work for an enterprise and you just talked about your phone flipping out. What else was there a challenge kind of four years later as you left the DOD establishment, you went into a corporate? What were some of the things that you may, you know, maybe you wish you would have known um, or you could tell yourself now six years later? <laughs> you know, you know, definitely a first names was an adjustment. Um, it, it, it was just, I don't want to say I was stressed out in the military, but there's, there's all this rigor about customs and courtesies. And like you said, you're still in that system, right? That bubble, there's an understanding to certain things happening, hearing Reveille going off at the base, right? Or, um, folks saluting the flag when the anthem goes off and suddenly everything just feels extremely lax. I'm not saying work isn't getting done, but just the way people approach each other, just this comfort level there the sir and the ma'am is is a little bit more optional hey carl hey jim please call me you know call me this hey you want to grab a drink after work it's friday we're leaving early leaving early like what does that mean so (laughs) at first it almost felt like i almost had a sense of guilt like 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 i could be doing more and uh, and suddenly there's a different standard because because you sort of realize that people are happy achieving this much right and you're operating at this level and you're like wait a minute if i operate at this level i'm already exceeding the standards and duplicating everyone else's efforts so so you you become you sort of you know start learning you're like do i have a superpower because i was a veteran and there was very little to argue with when orders were handed down 
right? Very little pushback, you know, adapt and overcome, get it done anyway, that sort of thing, you know, no days off. Um, so I'm, what, what I'll tell you is I, I just felt super grateful that the people, the things that people were complaining about were things that to me were just like, this is just a regular day. This is, you know, there's nothing to it. Like, so what, you know? Um, so, 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 so yeah, there was an adjustment. There was an adjustment. I almost felt like I was doing something wrong uh, based on the ops tempo uh, change. Yeah, the tempo change, the first name, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Um, th th those are common difficulties um, beyond, you know, what you just brought up, kind of the idea of operating at a different level. That That's that's very true. Um, one of my very good friends, he runs an incident response team for a very large company. And um, his team is made up of, I think, 70% uh, veterans, 30% civilians. Um and so it's really funny because when he goes through an incident and I'll text him and I'll be like, let me guess, 70% of your staff is there. And he goes, how'd you know? And I was like, well, because the 30% are leaving at six o'clock, right? And the 70% are going to stay until the job is done, not dismissing civilians. Again, folks, if, if you didn't serve, and, 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 and I'm sure a lot of people who don't serve who are very committed and passionate, stick around and stay longer. That's not what I'm saying. But the general rule of thumb for veterans is if something's going on, you're not leaving until mission accomplished, right? You know, there's been times where we've slept on conference room floors and someone did a CVS run to get, you know, like uh, the travel size toothbrushes, toothpaste, Listerines and deodorant. And, um, you know, you do, you do a one and a half hour shift of sleep. You get up, you're back working. Someone else is taking a, sh uh, a sleep shift. You're eating cold pizza um, and Chinese food. Um and you're drinking Mountain Dews. I haven't had a Mountain Dew since I was in the military, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, like I'm, 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 I think I drank enough Mountain Dew in four years, like just like for a lifetime, yes, right? Um, um, and 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 that's what you like. That that that's just it just is. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I know we're. I, I love talking to you. We're almost out of time though, so I kind of want to. Um, I want to take you down. I want to ask you like kind of a different question if you don't mind um looking at your at your um kind of transition and now you know you're you're a senior solutions architect so tell us a little bit about you know how long did it take you to get to the senior level to the management level what was that journey like for you yeah so i i uh, i feel blessed that i had a chance to work at lowe's corporate right such a large enterprise um you know they, they employ over three hundred thousand people so yeah, the small decisions move really big ships. Um, so owning projects that had such a large impact, um, not, only, not only sort of elevated my knowledge, but gave me more confidence to say, wow, if I have the ability to make this, this decision that's gonna impact so many, so many different stores, so many different employees, um, I, I, should, I, should probably, um, I should probably change the way I perceive myself as a practitioner and more into a leadership capacity, more as an advisor, um, because these are decisions that not everybody's raising their hands to make. Um, so, so I think having having Lowe's as my first true opportunity um, at, out of their corporate center that helped a lot. Um, surrounding yourself with people that already are where you want to be is an incredible opportunity. Um, I think that helped me a lot too, because I think we're always our, our worst critics. And there's times you you know you have a you, you can introspect all you want, but when you have somebody else be the expectator, the spectator, and you ask them, hey, what do you think I'm good at? You know, if if uh, would you hire me again if you had the opportunity, and why? 
what is that one thing that sticks out that you think I'm better than most at? And then you, you continue to build on that. Um, those are some, some of the things that helped me. I, I think that everybody, anyone that has solid knowledge on one particular topic is dying to share it. You know, if you play golf, you're dying to teach somebody how to hit that ball, right? If you're good at, at, at investing, you're dying to have somebody shoulder surf it and see you doing some trades and all that. I don't know about that. I disagree. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, so sorry. Have you seen the investing guys on YouTube? Come on, man. Yeah. Come on, man. Come on. Uh, but, 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 but yeah, I, I, I think that that's, that's what helped me. I think um, find, finding some really good mentors, reaching out to people, asking for help. Um, you know, what is the one thing you would do differently? And, and um, uh, what, what, is the one, what, what is the one thing that leads to success that you do consistently every day? Um, leveraging questions like that from mentors really helped me. Perfect. So um, final question of the show before um, you say bye to our audience and and, um, and and we wrap up today. What's one thing you loved about your military service? The one thing I loved was the ability to, to just walk into an independent lifestyle where I walked in with a gym bag from the Dominican Republic and I had a place to stay. I had health care. I had life insurance and I got training off the bat. Uh, the camaraderie is, is, is the best thing. I have, I have folks that I will call my brothers and sisters for the rest of my life with no reservations. We could not talk for five years. We cannot talk for 10 months. And if I pick up the phone and we reach out, it's like we, we never got disconnected. Um, there's just this commitment to brotherhood and the people that serve, you served with, whether you deployed with them or whether you worked with them in a the kitchen. Um, I, I miss that. I miss that wholeheartedly um, just about every day. Um, for those that have been watching and listening to every single episode, the brotherhood and the camaraderie is something everyone talks about. And, uh, and I, we may have to start a special project to bring that all together um, and, and bring back that, um, that brotherhood for veterans, you know, um, beyond the VFW. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> right on. Rafael, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate you taking time and sharing your story um, and inspiring others. Um, you're definitely an inspirational guy, man. Your energy is like, like I just, wow, um, really wow. Um, folks, that's a, a, another one for our Veteran November. We have a lot more still this month, every single day, Sunday through Friday, Saturdays to Sabbath. It's my day off. It's your day off. Enjoy it with your family. Go for a walk. Take a hike. I don't know. Do something. 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time every single day, Sunday through Friday. You get to tune in for the month of November and hear from people who've served in the uniform who are now in InfoSec. Learn a little bit about their service, about what they did, and make sure that you comment below. Thank Rafael for his service. Uh, let him know that he inspired you. I mean, and um, and if you're looking to hire someone very, very sharp and pay them a lot more money, then you can also do that as well. Um, uh, <laughs> that is also an option, folks. Um, uh, thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening, uh, folks. Rafael, thank you for your service again. Thank you for coming on thank the podcast, sir. sir. Um, I do appreciate that. Guys, Veteran November, share these episodes. Let your, you know, um, let, let your uh, community know about this. Um, and, and, and let's help other veterans who, who are transitioning and maybe having a difficult time remember 22 a day guys 22 a day um and so anything we can do to get that down and support um and and and, and reach out and just touch a life is is powerful enough 
uh, to do that. So enough with the teary jerky stuff today, folks. I'll sign off. I'll wish you all lots of health this month and um, lots of cyber safety. So stay cyber safe, folks. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues and get all the latest information at cyberhubpodcast.com.